Welcome to Terrible, a Canadian true crime podcast. I'm Marie. And I'm Renee. We're two friends that discuss true crime stories in hopes to prepare ourselves for life's most terrible things. Quick disclaimer, the following podcast will include graphic and explicit content. Our goal is to respect victims and their families. We do not want to sensationalize crimes or glorify criminals. We are not experts. We want to tell these stories in order to learn from them and make sure victims and their families are not forgotten. Just before we get started, we want to mention that we do have a merch store. There's lots of great stuff on there, so if you guys want to check it out and support the show, you can go on Etsy and look us up at Terrible True Crime. And the last thing is that it really helps when you rate the show and leave us a review or a comment wherever you listen. All right, let's get into some updates. So my first update is more of an observation. So I'd say like in our friendship in general, I'm more like the cool, like calm, like. No, I mean like voice of reason, like, like I yes. help making decisions and like stuff when we're having a hard time or whatever. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the podcast, I am unhinged. <laughs> I'm unhinged. I'm not okay. And Maggie is constantly like, you're fine. Like, I'm li- literally. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, why are you even thinking twice about this? Like, don't worry. But just like everything from like when we like got in contact with Mocha Dawkins after her episode, like I think I had maybe my first kind of panic attack. <laughs> just like so nervous about getting things right. And like, I've always been like a very like bring on the constructive criticism. Like it's not a bad thing. But like in this podcast, I'm like, Oh my god, I'm doing this for fun. Like, I, I don't think I can handle the criticism. I think it's hard because, like, you do so much research and you really put a lot of effort into making an episode. And I think it's it's just, it's really scary to think making an episode and someone somehow related to that episode is going to hear it, you know? It's like... How did we explain it? Did we, you know, do justice? Did we, did we say something that would hurt their feelings? Anything like that? It's like, it's just, it adds more pressure. And we've had so many people connected to cases reach out to us, which I never expected, like never. So I Mm -hmm. think that puts like added pressure on. Um, so when we get, so I checked our like podcast reviews today and we have a lot of really good, like five-star reviews. And then we have like a few one-star and I'm just like... (laughs) (laughs) like who does that (laughs) like if you don't like it don't listen you know and then I take it personally and then I just get over it and I'm like you know what not everyone's gonna like me in life not everyone's gonna like my podcast what am I gonna do (laughs) no exactly you just gotta just gotta do what you can you know but yeah but yeah it's just I find it so funny you're right like usually I'm just like it's fine like nothing's a big deal and you're just like Renee calm down (laughs) You're so right. I didn't even think about that. That's so true. Oh, God. (laughs) So that was just, you know, thoughts that I was having this week. And also amongst all the kind of a little bit more negative stuff, we got a really nice email this week. So that was just, you know, kind of like reinforced. I'm like, okay, maybe I'm not quitting. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It was so sweet. And like, yeah, just emails that show your appreciation for our podcast, just like really make our day like you have no idea it makes us so happy like we could literally cry yeah so especially because like we do this for fun obviously but like we care about what we're putting out there Mm -hmm. and we care if people are not how many people are listening but if people are listening and enjoying it and whatever or like what we could do better and make things you know 
more enjoyable. So when we get an email just being like, this is awesome. Like you guys are great. Then it's kind of like, all right. A little pat on the back. Yeah. A little pat on the back. It's other than just us, like always texting back and forth, like, oh, we nailed that episode. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, I've heard it like a million times going over and over (laughs) during the editing. I think Um, I always forget that because I just like do the research that I listen to it. Like it's all like wrapped up in a bow, like the episode's all done. And I'm like, wow, it sounds so good. Like we did great. And you're probably like, I hate the sound of our voices. (laughs) I literally need Renee's confirmation once she listens to it, if it was good, because that like once I edit it for so long, I'm like, is this even good? Like, is anyone really going to want to hear this? It all sounds the same. Yeah, exactly. Okay, and another update. Uh, I don't really have much. I've been back into bubbly water lately, which I never really left like soda water, but I was like obsessed for a while and I'm back on it. So I love soda water. (laughs) I wish I really wish I did. But you know what? I'm just that unhealthy kind of girl that loves her diet Pepsi. Like I cannot (laughs) bubbly water diet Pepsi really different to me. This is true. I don't know what it is, but if anyone out there is a huge fan of soda water, go to McDonald's drive-thru or go in, I guess, doesn't matter, and request soda water. They have the best soda water out there. It sounds weird. It sounds ew. That sounds disgusting. You're like, if I'm like, going to McDonald's, I'm getting a Coke. Yes. <laughs> it's really good. I, yeah, it's. I feel like it's not a very popular opinion, but I love just like a soda stream, soda water plain spicy <laughs> even when I went to like Renee's house uh what in October to visit her she has a soda stream and um that was like the only carbonated thing I could drink thankfully she had a little uh squeezy diet coke yeah, tasting yeah. thing and I'm like oh thank god my addiction's being soothed right now <laughs> like I really needed this <laughs> We're in a different place now, so we have, like, a a beer fridge, so now there's always, like, Coke and ginger ale and stuff like that in the beer fridge, so. Amazing. Now that we have more room. Yeah. Yeah, so that's exciting. Um, And the other thing, personally, that happened is Ollie, our puppy, went back to puppy daycare after being neutered. It was his first day back. It was really exciting. I go to pick him up, and they're like, can you just sign this incident report? Uh, (gasps) Just, like, read through it really quickly, and I'm thinking, like, oh, my God, like, what happened? So this is what happened in like a nutshell two dogs are fighting a male and a female dog and the male is like getting too aggressive and he like pinned the female dog down and the i call them teachers but whatever the teachers the instructors the trainers are trying to separate the two and they use like blow horns and things like this to try to like distract the dogs but the male dog is like not letting go and my little seven month old puppy is like Hell no. He inserts himself into the situation and goes after the male dog who's pinning the female dog down. Honestly, though, good job, Ollie. Like, I it's know. not like he started it. I know. It's true. But I was kind of, and they're like, you know, like, we just like, we don't need his help. And I'm like, I don't know how to like tell him that. We're like driving home and I'm like, okay, Ollie, when two puppies get into a fight, let the teachers handle it. And he's like looking at me like, I'm dying. Oh my god. That was funny. That is really funny. So nobody got hurt. (laughs) It was just sort of like a little scrap. So they had to to let me know. What a good boy. I'm all for that. (laughs) The last thing is something I just I have a big question mark about. 
the airports are insane right now in Canada. Is anyone traveling? Because I've just been hearing like nightmare stories of like luggage is getting lost and whatever. And I'm flying to Ottawa in a couple of weeks and I'm nervous. <laughs> yeah, I've seen a bunch of like videos on how crazy it is, but I haven't really cared enough because I don't travel. <laughs> I haven't really cared enough to like search as to why. Is I think it's mostly Air Canada, which is good because I mostly fly WestJet because we have like a WestJet credit card, so we collect points. But Either way, people are waiting, like, hours in airports, luggage is getting lost. Like, I heard a story where a puppy got lost. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> they found him. They found him. But, oh like, my oh, my God. Like, what is happening? Like, like I used to fly just because of my life situation. I flew a lot during the pandemic. This is going to sound bad, but I miss it because I used to just, like, cruise right. <laughs> I used to just cruise like you know I had like ounces and ounces of like hand sanitizer covering my entire body but I I used to just cruise through security show up at the gate an hour before like chill my mask on there's no one sitting next to me I I flew right at the beginning of the pandemic when everyone was freaking out on like one of those huge planes like the three seats three seats like on each row Mm -hmm. we were like 10 people it was the best flight I've ever taken. <laughs> I must have been so quiet. It was like weird. zen. And I just miss it and it's making me nervous. So that's it. <laughs> that's all I got to yeah, say. Yeah, hopefully you don't have to go through that. Oh, I hope not. That would really suck. Yeah. I, we, well, are you going to check the luggage? No. Okay. I'm going to squeeze two. Yeah. And like the Ottawa airport isn't even that bad. And like I said, WestJet isn't even that bad. I don't care. I'm not risking it Mm -hmm. because it's just not worth it. I'm squeezing Mm -hmm. two weeks. If anyone knows me, they know this is painfully hard for me, but I'm (laughs) squeezing two weeks worth of luggage and a duffel bag and a carry-on. So wish me luck, everyone. You can do it. I believe in you. So my week was a little bit scary because um, I wanted to get gym equipment for my basement. So I canceled my gym membership. Cause I could not get myself to the gym. So I figured if I have it in my basement, like I wanted like a full squat rack, like a, a, a bench mm-hmm. dumbbells. You everything. guys have the room for it. Yeah. So I was like, okay, let me get it secondhand off Kijiji. I don't, I'm not a Kijiji girl. I hate strangers, right? We all know this by now. So I started talking with this one guy and the more I, we were like going back and forth, I'm like, when is it appropriate or safe to give my address or phone number? <laughs> I'm, I was like freaking out when it was time to like send my address because he's like, where do you live? I'm like, oh my God, why are you asking me that? But then I'm like, yeah, he needs to know where to drop it off or whatever. So I don't know if I'm the only one, but I could never buy anything else from Kijiji because we ended up going to pick it up. He brought, he helped us bring it here, the guy who was selling it. And then there was one thing left for us to bring from his place to mine he just looks at my boyfriend and he's like want to hop in and we'll go get the treadmill and so Cody's like okay gets in his car drives away and I'm like you're like a nursing you again <laughs> like I'm, that was a nice relationship I was like this is it why are you uh, like what do you say and, in that like, moment like no like, in the mo- yeah, yeah, yeah like, I don't know I'm well, like he seemed fine but like was just like this is gonna be on the podcast I will never see my boyfriend ever again he's an episode (laughs) yeah so he comes back whatever they're they finish unloading and then he comes inside and then I was like oh thank god you're back like I really was scared you're gonna get kidnapped 
or abducted. I like saying kidnapped. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and like my boyfriend is not an anxious bird like I am. Like I am an yeah, and he's a he's a tough guy. <laughs> yeah. Like he he has a, no ounce of anxiety in him. He straight up said, "Not gonna lie, for a second he he took like a, a different way to get to his place than what we took to like come back or whatever." And he's like, "I thought I literally thought that was it." And I'm like, "Oh my god! Oh my god!" <laughs> I'm like I'm never buying anything else from Kid Gigi. Like this is it. I'm done. No thanks. That's so, so stressful. I'm I'm yeah. like concerned now. Like, <laughs> don't do that again. I know. I was like, oh my god, oh my god. Yeah, it was scary. But anyways, everything's all good. Just really be careful out there, guys. I I I, I don't know, man. It's scary. it's hard with stuff like gym equipment because like if you're doing like yeah. I don't know, like a a mini fridge, I don't know. You can like meet at like a yeah. local parking lot and then just switch from one car to another. But like yeah. gym equipment, you need someone with the truck or you need someone who's able to bring it. And exactly. Uh, yeah. And like we didn't have a big car. Like I just had my small car, so I was like, there's no way I could fit anything in that. So like he had to help us, but like as soon as he's like, "Hey, hop in, let's go get the treadmill," I was like, "No, don't do it! <laughs> don't leave me! Don't leave me forever!" <laughs> Anyways, so we're all good now. Um, positive thing about I guess last weekend, Zoe went swimming. She did. She, yeah, she went. Did well, she go right in? Kind of. No, she was scared. Okay. Well, it was really cold water though. Yeah. But we put her in, and she would like swim back to shore. And I went kayaking with her just like I wanted to do. She, I like put her in my kayak and like buckled her onto me with her oh life jacket. God. And she was just sitting there like not really sure what, what's going on. <laughs> She's like, okay. Like she wasn't trying to jump out or anything. I'm like, Aww. you're an adventure girl. So that That's was so really fun. fun. Yeah. Cute. Now my other fun update is <laughs> that when you have a mental breakdown, you're like, maybe I should get some tattoos. So that's what I did. <laughs> I got two tattoos and I love them. Yay. One, where is it? I'm like, where is it? You'll have I four got, pictures now. Yeah, I got a rose on my wrist, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then a little crown tattoo on my finger. It's so cute. Love that's so that fun. Like I just love it. Yeah. <laughs> so so exciting. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and did you feel a hundred times better after yes i know and like, like is it bad to say that like i enjoyed the pain no i think that all the time okay. i think people that like tattoos will get this sometimes you're just like in a bad space and you're just like i just need to feel it like, literally feel it and like i just feel better yeah like yeah i was 100%. like oh this feels good like i'm like yeah. am i like so, like crazy for thinking that but anyways no. made me happy so like why not right I'm so happy for you yeah all right so let's get into some crime updates now and we're going to start doing something a little bit different so we're going to try to do two a week i'll pick a case or a story in the news and then so will marie and marie is going to go first this week and you guys are going to have to cut me some slack because this is my first time doing any type of research for this podcast so please be nice um so renee and i already kind of discussed this but this one hits really close to home because it is in ottawa on june 27th of 2022 this year there was a double homicide in the alta vista neighborhood of ottawa so a mom who was 50 years old and a daughter 15 years old were fatally stabbed at the time that the police arrived they found a 21 year old man named joshua graves who was in that moment as the police showed up stabbing another victim her name was Catherine or her name is Catherine, who was the sister and daughter of the first uh, two victims that have died. And Catherine is 19 years old. So 
the police ended up shooting him because he was refusing to put his knife down. Oh my God. Yeah. So they, any of this. Mm-hmm. So they shot him and basically killed him. Like he was pronounced dead at the scene. And it's also reported that the police gunshots also hit Catherine kind of like in the crossfire, I guess you could say. Oh my God. Yeah. So she was stabbed and shot obviously not on purpose, but you know, he was stabbing her and like, she was right beside him. I mean, yeah, like, yeah, like you do your best. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she was taken to hospital with serious, but non life threatening injuries, which is really good. So she's physically going to be okay. But I think that we can all agree that, oh my God, she's going to have it so rough mentally. Her, so her whole family was murdered by her brother. Uh, no, not her brother. Who is this person? Let me get into it. <laughs> okay, I would be so. I'm gonna have to get used to this role. Reverse I know, thing. I know. Now you're like, okay, I'm like, I get. Tell I, me I, <laughs> because I'm also the type of person who, like, if I'm watching a movie with someone who's already seen it, and I'm like, what's going on? Oh, now? you can't shut <laughs> up. Oh, yeah, yeah can't shut up. What's gonna happen next? <laughs> okay, okay, I'll shut up. The reason this really hit close uh, to home was especially because Jasmine, who's the 15 year old, was attending the high school that we went to. And Catherine just graduated from uh, that high school and was going to start, or I guess is going to start studying at U Ottawa. Um, Yeah, exactly. Hopefully. I mean, that's a really hard path kind of to recover from. So I don't know what her plans will be in the future, but I wish her all the best. Um, The attacker, so Joshua did not attend the same high school as them, but apparently his relatives reported that he had shown romantic interest in one of the sisters so we don't know who but he had yeah and he had been told to stop contacting her so i'm assuming it was catherine just because of the age um right wait do you know how old this joshua guy is 21 um sir she's 15 well that that but catherine's 19 oh, that's why 19. i think oh yeah okay, that's why okay. i think it was because they don't say which sister. i mean that's obviously not the worst thing to yes say, but i'm like no but like but just, it just get, keeps getting worse okay okay So in the beginning of March and the middle of June, he was charged with three counts of criminal harassment, assault, and sexual assault for offenses that occurred between that time. And he was released uh, on the strength of a $2,000 surety pledged by his mother and with a host of conditions. So that required him to live at home and not enter specific roads or areas where his alleged victims lived and worked. So like this is basically his mom paying this $2,000 and being responsible for him to show up to court and whatnot. Yeah, I think but, that's, I was going to say, like, a surety thing makes me feel yeah. like it's, like, a, like the French word surete, like, to make sure that, like, she'll mm-hmm. she'll be, like, his, like, overlooker, like, his, his like, guardian or whatever. Which, she'll, like, make sure that. Yeah. But, but, like, doesn't that make her responsible for what happened to, kind of? Like, maybe. We have to, you know I'd have I mean? to look into this more, and maybe we'll talk about it next week, because I, yeah. I haven't heard of this before, but I feel like this kind of insinuates that the person would be responsible for something, like, if shit yeah. hit the fan. Yeah. During all of this, he was ordered not to have contact directly or indirectly or online with four people, two of them women who identities are protected. And I don't believe this is, you know, any of the sisters, but it's even worse. And what makes me so angry is that this attack happened three days after he was released. Three days. We need to do better because what he was charged with are like very serious things. And I feel Mm -hmm. like I don't know what the answer is, but I feel like just being like, well, go home and be safe is like not. And it's like multiple people. It's not just one person. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and all of this is escalating behavior. Mm -hmm. So it's like, wow, this is awful. Mm-hmm. oh that's awful when i like quickly read the news story headline i thought it was like a brother or something that had done mm-hmm. this i don't know why i just assume like sometimes in these yeah 
like I want to say like often when you hear of these like family things it's a family member that's done it like yeah. not a stranger who is like stalking one of the daughters who decides to kill the entire family like oh my mm-hmm. god and I think from what I read like he was when the police arrived they were on the street so he was like stabbing her oh on my the street. god and then and then the after the whole commotion then the police found the mom and the sister who had already been stabbed oh to death god. how messed up so messed up but so that's awful. Mm-hmm. Well, we hope you rot in jail, Joshua. So. Well, he's dead. True. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, this story is a roller coaster. I know it doesn't stop. I know because oh when you sent me that article, there was like all the information was was that it happened. Yeah, but there was yeah. there was no other information. So when I kept clicking on links and being like, okay, there's more, there's more. I'm like, Ugh, holy shit. Well, I can't say we're upset that you're dead. Yeah. Oh my god. I just awful. like it feels so bad for this family. Yeah. Oh, I, I hate these current crime updates. I know. I know they're <laughs> bad, eh? We're doing great over here. Okay. Yeah. So another news. An Oregon man who's 41 years old lured a teenage girl from Edmonton who went missing on June 24th to the state of Oregon. A 13-year-old girl who rode the bus to school on June 24th was reported missing when she never attended any classes and she didn't come home that afternoon. So, you know, family and friends are pushing to find her. They were looking for any information about her whereabouts. They searched the neighborhood. They formed a Facebook group. They're posting on social media, pamphlets, a billboard. Like the family is doing everything they can to find her. And then while the girl's missing in Edmonton, the police partnered with multiple police agencies, including the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol, uh, Gladstone Police in Oregon and Oregon City Police, and the FBI. So it's kind of unclear at this point what led them to believe that this girl who went missing had crossed Mm. lines or, you know, had gone from Canada to the U.S., but they figured this out and they all worked together. So at this point, they do believe that an Oregon man who was in Edmonton at the time had lured this 13-year-old girl, kidnapped her, and then brought her to the U.S., The police confirmed that the man and the girl had been contacted through social media platforms. Catfish turned criminal. She's 13. Yes, he definitely catfished her. I mean, I don't know that, but come on, you gotta think this man catfished this girl. As acting like a 13 year old boy and like, maybe. I I mean, I'm totally. I don't know, man. That's so gross. I'm totally assuming maybe he was talking to her as a 41 year old. Yeah, but you're right. Like, why? But I just, yeah, yeah, I, my mind goes straight to this man is like a super predator and was just like, hi, you're Mm -hmm. cute and like acting like a 13 year old boy, whatever. So, yes, they confirmed that the two had been in touch through social media and they're unsure how long they had talked for. So, I'm assuming that maybe that's how they connected the fact that she was in the US. Maybe they had access to some of her profiles or something and they like accessed the messages. But police don't know how the two originally made contact or how they contacted each other in person. Like what happened to where they actually like met. Mm. So in Edmonton, he's only being charged with child luring because that's I guess that's technically the only thing he did while he was here. Unsure. But they believe that it can be the charge can be supported based on the online history that they found. We don't really know what the U.S. charges will be yet, but police don't know how she also crossed the border. So they found both of them? Yes, she's back. She's back home. Thank God. And no one can give them answers. Like, no, I'm sure that there are a lot more answers than we have access to because this literally just happened. True. But at this point, they're still trying to sort it all out, it seems like. So the 13-year-old girl, thankfully, is back home. The 41-year-old man is being charged. 
unsure what he's being charged with on the U.S. side. He's being charged with child luring and, like, maybe throw kidnapping in there. Well, like, I yeah, don't know. I would hope so. Huh. You can't just break, like, the... <laughs> yeah. If he didn't cross the border, I'd be like, okay, maybe, maybe it's, you know, makes sense that they didn't do kidnapping. I don't know. But crossing the border with a kid that's not yours, that, like... I don't know how you do cross the border like that. You don't. She, he would have had to like hide her or something. Yeah. I don't know how you do that. Because like we've crossed many borders and it's intense. Ugh, but Edmonton police, with the help from the FBI, are working to map out the route from Oregon. Uh, the route to Oregon that the man took from Edmonton. So they're still working on things. We are so happy that she's back home. Her, I'm assuming that her name was you know, widely accessible when she was just missing, but now it's hard to find, which is fine. She's back home. Who knows Mm -hmm. what happened to her when she was kidnapped, but we're happy that she's back and that this man got caught because, ew, like, go away. Is he in custody or is he like free to go? I'm pretty sure he's in custody. Thank God. Yeah. Cause like, yeah. into this week's case. So Christine Jessup was born November 29th of 1974 to parents Janet and Rob Jessup. She had an older brother named Kenny. In 1984, the family was living in Queensville, Ontario, a town of 400 people at the time, north of Toronto. Christine is described as a bright-eyed girl. She liked baseball and riding her bike. She loved her pet beagle named Freckles. Stop. Oh <laughs> my god. my favorite thing ever and she's so cute is she like a redhead too with freckles like it looks like yes yes oh i have like i envision like her just like naming her dog after herself like you know like her little people and then just like running around together yeah so sweet she dreamed of growing up to become a veterinarian which so did i however I wasn't able to know. I feel like all kids like want to be like a doctor. Yes, or you're just like, I want to be a veterinarian. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, wait. That means you get to see. Hard. Well, it's also like you have to think that like you go, you think as a kid, you're going to go into like to be a vet because you love animals. But then all yeah, you see true. is just sick, sad animals. Oh my God. You know? So oh already being so dark. And yeah. it's also just like next, next, yeah. next. <laughs> like, yeah. it's like, no, actually, I just want to win the lottery and open a pet sanctuary. So <laughs> that's what I'm going to do instead. Okay. Yeah. So keep buying those cash for life tickets. In October of 1984, Christine is nine years old. And on this weekday, she went to school as usual. When she got home from school, she planned to go out to play with a friend. This was very normal. You know, she's nine years old. You get home from school, put your bag down, you grab a snack, and you head out the door. Especially if you live in, like, a very social neighborhood where kids are out all the Mm -hmm. time and playing at the park. So she does exactly this. She gets home, drops her bag off, you know, I'm assuming, grabs a snack, and (laughs) plans to head out to meet her friend. Not long after this, her mom, Janet, and her brother, Kenny, arrive at home. And they assume that... Christine is out with a friend, as per usual. Her school bag's in the house, the mail had been brought in. Jana, however, likes to know, you know, where her kids are. So she takes a look around the neighborhood, but can't immediately find Christine. They call some of her friends to see where she is, but no one seems to really know. Later in the evening, still no sign of Christine, and Janet decides to call the police. Janet would later say, You know something in the back of your mind when you can't find them right away. You know something's not right. Right away, a search begins. 
Many residents of their small town get together and search the surrounding areas. Helicopters eventually get involved, but nothing seems to come up. Nobody knows where Christine is. The local police was not really equipped to deal with something like this. Robert and Janet begged the public to come forward with any information about Christine's whereabouts. The family discussed with investigators who could potentially have had access to their home. So they give off, you know, probably a list of names, family, friends, other members of the family. I don't know anyone who could have potentially, you know, been able to get into their home. Unfortunately, Christmas comes and goes and the Jessups get no new news about what happened to Christine. Oh my God. Just like that, like in an instant, your child is just gone. Mm -hmm. On December 31st of 1984, so on New Year's Eve, just about three months after Christine disappeared, a body was found on a rural road more than 50 kilometers from her home in Sutherland, Ontario. A man and his daughters went looking for their dog on their large property when they found her. This next part is very upsetting and when I was writing my notes, I like had to stop and like, I think I like gasped to myself. <laughs> but Christine had been sexually assaulted and stabbed multiple times. A minister and police officers showed up at the Jessup's door, and the Jessup's knew. Christine's family had a funeral for her, and hundreds of people showed up to support them. That's so awful. I know. That's what it's like, like I said, it's like an instant your child's gone, and then you have no answers, and then the only thing you ever hear back is that they've been, like, brutally murdered. And she's, That's like, horrible. so little, a teeny, cute. Yeah, she's oh. very sweet looking, very little, nine years old, so young, not something you expect to mm -hmm. happen at all. And I think it was very shocking for the community too, like everyone was in total shock. The location where Christine's body was found meant that the case would be transferred to the Durham Regional Police to investigate. Christine's family is again asked about who could have had access to their home, you know, who's close to you, who couldn't have been involved. And I'm sure they give kind of a similar list to what they had given to the original investigators. But this time Janet mentions to them that there is kind of a weird guy who lives next to them. The man she's talking about is named Guy Paul Marin. It's reported that Guy had not participated in the search for Christine. And I think this must have stood out since so many people were involved. Especially was, as a neighbor, I feel like it's just like, yeah, you're supposed to be at least cordial and like respect your neighbors. You'd think that he would like care enough to at least kind of participate. Yeah, this is like right? a tough one because like you're kind of allowed to do whatever you want, like, but also yeah, but, if everyone's involved, like, maybe but also like how can you, yeah, but how can you not care about a nine year old sweet little girl who's your neighbor? Like, like, even yeah. if she wasn't your neighbor. For sure. But then know? the other side of that is that, like, hundreds and hundreds of people are out searching and helicopters and stuff. So you might also be like, man, like, what am I going to do to add to that? Yeah. So he's 24 years old at the time. And he, like I said, lives next door to the Jessup family. He lived there with his parents. He worked as a furniture sander. The families didn't know each other very well. They weren't, like, necessarily you know friendly neighbors i'm sure that they like waved hi to each other <laughs> as they went off to work <laughs> in the morning or whatever but they didn't hang out they also didn't really have any active issues so you know it was just kind of a another person to interview so police did just that they interview Guy. Guy tells investigators he didn't know christine very well and he was at work the day that she went missing they are later able to confirm that he punched out around 3 30 and worked 57 kilometers away from the home. So he could not have been home until earliest 4.15, which is around the same time that Janet and Kenny get home as well. 
So this seems like a pretty good alibi. However, people think that it's weird that he didn't participate in the search. Just like you said, like, just get out there and look like it's not, you know, it's mm -hmm. it's a very normal thing to do for communities to jump in and try to help, especially as a neighbor. So no matter this alibi, investigators, you know, they still want to collect some of Guy's hair. They want to do this because they want to try to match it to a hair found on Christine when her body was found. To do this, they have someone pose as a student hairstylist at Guy's band practice. <laughs> so weird. I love when they do shit like that. But like, so is that legal? Like when you think about it, like uh, you're, you're giving your DNA like without consent. But you're. But then I don't you're know. Part I don't of want to comment on. I this, don't know yeah. what it's like. Yeah, I don't know exactly the ins and outs of this. Obviously, it was like on the up and up at the time. Mm -hmm. So I guess who like the entire band probably is like, sure, like whatever, like cut my hair or pull one of my hairs out or whatever it is. And he is one of them. So they collect this hair through this person posing as a hairstylist, <laughs> hairstylist apprentice or whatever she was, or maybe he was. Um, and they bag it and they keep it for, you know, their evidence. There had also been semen found on disgusting but there had also been semen found on christine's underwear so um that was another way that yeah i know it's so gross but that's another way that they kind of hoping to find some kind of dna match or something somewhere after Guy's hair is collected a forensic specialist deemed the hair microscopically similar to the hair found on christine's necklace investigators search Guy's car and they also find fibers that are similar to christine's clothes that she was wearing that day Again, like last week's case, police asked the FBI for help making a profile yeah. on the killer. <laughs> Love profilers. This one's a little bit more... Um, intense as we like. I mean, it's not super intense, but it's definitely more than last week. So they yeah. say that the man is white from 19 to 26 years old. They say that he's most likely a local and he's known to Christine. He has a high school education as well, is what they're assuming. Finally, investigators decide to arrest Guy on April 25th of 1985. They charge him with Christine's murder while he's on his way to his van practice. Everyone was relieved. But, you know, we discussed it. Work, alibi, like, what's mm -hmm. going on here? How can they prove that he has gotten home in time to do this before Janet and Kenny got there? Got someone to punch out for him? Basically, what investigators do is they go back to Janet and Kenny and they ask them, you know, are you sure this is the time that you got home at? Like, are mm -hmm. you 100% sure? And I think through this, Janet and Kenny are kind of like, well, no, like, so much was going on. Like, we're, we're not sure. Like, so it's so true, though. It's like in a moment of pure panic like that, you almost black out. You know what I mean? Like, you don't pay oh, attention definitely. to time. That's not your first thought. So so they take that and they run with it. They interrogate Guy for over six hours, but Guy never changes his statements. He says he's innocent. He never admits to the crime, but he goes on trial in January of 1986. During trial, the Crown talked about the hair and the fibers on Christine's clothes. They point out that Guy had time to kidnap Christine after he got home from work. They also allowed testimony from two cellmates who swore that Guy confessed to the crime while in custody. This is iffy for me. Like a cellmate confession. Mm. Because your cellmate know. is all also a criminal who uh, yeah, and like, what's he being offered to like say this? Right. Like, I don't know. I don't like love that this is a huge part of the. Case I personally rather death by confession than a cellmate confession. Anyway, I think the cellmate confession testimony thing is kind of sketch. I don't know. 
And apparently also one of these cellmates is an undercover police officer. They like Canadians love an undercover police officer. They really love thinking outside the box, having fun yes. with investigations. <laughs> like they really do it all. Seriously. So this officer tells the court that Guy had said while he was in jail, Red Drum the innocent. Imagine sorry. <laughs> Imagine like being an undercover police officer in jail. Like yeah. you're being paid it's weird. to be in jail. <laughs> Isn't that not a weird concept to you? Yeah, it's super <laughs> weird. But I mean, they do like you said, they get creative, they do what they gotta do. So but so <laughs> a lot is put on this red drum, the innocent. Red drum is murder spelled backwards. If you guys have seen the Stephen King movie. Oh, wow, I never knew that was a thing. People say that? Red drum? It's straight up taken from this movie. If you oh. guys have seen the Stephen King movie, The Shining, it's there's a little boy in the movie and he just says red drum, red drum over and over again. And it's, you know, it's kind of a, you haven't seen it because it's kind of scary. <laughs> so you wouldn't know. <laughs> but a lot is put on this, which is one, unsure if he ever said this, maybe he did. But yeah, just keep that in your minds. As we keep going. Guy's lawyer tried to question the credibility of the jailhouse informants. He also had experts poke holes in the forensic evidence. He said that there was no way that Guy could have gone to work, punched out. Guy says that he even went for groceries and then came home and kidnapped Christine. His lawyer and like what feels kind of like a Hail Mary also introduced evidence that Guy was schizophrenic. This was a lawyer's way to explain some of the sort of unusual behaviors that Guy had, kind of like the Red Drum, the innocent quote. This was a, a pretty big gamble, though, and who knew if it really was going to work. But when it came down to it, the jury, you know, they deliberated and they came back with a verdict of not guilty. The Jessops were mm. extremely disappointed. Do you know if he was diagnosed with schizophrenia before? They must this? have had. What I understand from the research that I've done is that while he was on trial for this he was medically evaluated okay so after the verdict christine's father said the following you get damn mad is what you get because you feel the system let you down everyone was talking about this case did the jury make a mistake or was christine's killer still out there the crown appealed the verdict they want another chance at getting gee for this murder the ontario court of appeal found a fault in the trial judge's instructions to the jury and a new trial was ordered. The fault was regarding the judge explaining what reasonable doubt meant. I guess they felt like it wasn't a thorough enough explanation or if it wasn't done well. So it could take like a little thing like that for them to be like, nope, mm -hmm. that trial wasn't good. So let's do this again. So everyone had to do it all over again, which is horrible for Christine's family. Yeah. So let's get into the second trial. This trial lasts about nine months. A lot of the same stuff is discussed. Guy had a different lawyer, but they had a very similar narrative. They were contradicting the Crown's evidence, the timeline, and poking holes in the jailhouse confessions. The jailhouse confessions actually got proven to be lies or kind of very unreliable during this trial. From what I understand, new forensic evidence said that the hair was not a perfect match. Basically like a maybe. Okay. Like this could have been him, but yeah. you know, nothing like definitive. Once all was said and done, the jury found Guy guilty. Guy was shocked and he said the following. I am not guilty of this crime. His lawyer later stated the following. Today, an innocent man was found guilty. The Jessops, however, were really relieved. Janet said the following. Finally, somebody has paid for Christine. The guilty one has paid for Christine's murder. And Robert followed by saying. The only consolation of the whole affair is that it's finally put to rest and maybe Christine can rest in peace. 
So Guy Palmarais was sent to Kingston Penitentiary, and I can't imagine it was a very good place for a child murderer. However, his stay would be shorter than expected. He hired a new team of lawyers to appeal the decision that was made. They win the appeal, and he is released on bail on February 9th of 1993. 18 months is how long he spent in jail. The team was prepping for, I guess, what was another trial, if I'm understanding this correctly, or to kind of finalize the appeal, to make it official, you know, there's some kind of legal battle up ahead. When in 1995, 10 years after the murder, DNA technology had evolved. They decided to test the bit of DNA that was on Christine's clothing. The DNA that was found was not a match for Guy. <laughs> shit. Shit, shit, yeah. shit. After his exoneration, Guy said, <laughs> I'm sorry, that fucking sucks. <laughs> I, I was literally like, no, he don't trash him too hard because he's actually not good. I thought you were going to trash him so hard. <laughs> I did not kill Christine Jessup. It's as simple as that. And finally, as I said, DNA has exonerated me 100%. Guy has spent close to two years in prison and spent 10 years with people believing that he was a murderer. And Christine's poor families now realize that their child's murderer has not been caught and oh is God. still out there. Frank, that sucks for everyone. <laughs> I know, it's Thank horrible. God he kept like finding new lawyers, cause like, although I have to admit he looks really happy in that picture. So um, I'm really happy for him. Yeah, yeah. It's hard because he looks like so happy, but you're like, but Christine, like Christine, yeah. Now yeah, give yeah. me the person who killed her. Uh, it's like kind of like don't nothing's happy about this, but I'm happy for him that he's not in prison. But yeah, oh, it's so hard. But you know what, you guys, I swear to you, if Renee leaves me with another unsolved case, <laughs> I'm gonna literally cry. So <laughs> I have a feeling this one is solved. But let's uh, let's just keep going. The Ontario government called for a major public inquiry after this. They want to find out how and why did the administration of justice fail in this instance, and how can such a failure be prevented in the future? The inquiry would last 10 months. 120 witnesses were called, detectives, prosecutors, forensic specialists, even the jailhouse informants. Unfortunately, so were the Jessups, which must have been so hard for the family to have to like be like, yeah, you guys got the wrong guy and this is why. And this is like what the third time they have to like. Yeah. Re- so this is just kind of like an evaluation into like what happened. So it's, it's a legal proceeding and everyone has to come back and like testify to certain things. And it's it's a lot. But like I said, 10 months was long, very long. But here are like point forms, some of the things that came out during the inquiry. Janet and Ken arrived home the day that Christine disappeared. And they actually first told the police, like I said, that it was around 4.10. And the police had kind of re-questioned them and, you know, they kind of got twisted a little bit. And that really got brought to life. I think that, you know, in the end, the Janet and Ken probably kind of felt like, well, they're questioning me so hard about this. Maybe I did get it wrong. And that kind of like whooped mm-hmm. that idea into, well, maybe we're not sure. It also led to some criticism of the police and the techniques that they used while investigating and collecting evidence. They determined the hair and fiber evidence were given too much weight and that there was a need for more objectivity in scientific testing. The informants used were, you know, very unreliable, and they said that investigators really had tunnel vision when it came to Guy. Guy, in the end, accepted the apologies from the police and others, as well as a settlement of more than $1 million from the province of Ontario to his family. 
Gay later got married, had two sons, and has largely stayed out of the public eye ever since. Where does that $1 million come from? Good question. Um, tax like, dollars? Well, <laughs> if my taxes are paying for other people's mistakes, I swear to especially since last week I just paid for my taxes and I'm about to punch someone. <laughs> so these better not be my tax dollars, even though what, this is in 1980? Yeah, I like something. I'm <laughs> yeah, I'm still mad if nowadays my tax dollars are going there. Anyways, not the point. Yeah, I don't know. I have to look into that. Maybe they have like a little like nest egg where it's like for when we wrongfully convict people. Like, I don't know. I mean, technically, like I trash him hard enough. Like he deserves some of my tax dollars, but um... (laughs) you weren't that bad, actually. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, I kind of tricked you into this, but yeah, it's the narrative. Everyone's following along. They get it. So the issue the biggest issue that came out of all this is title vision investigators were focused on Guy and were sure it was him and i think they tried to make the evidence fit him which yeah contradicts the reasonable doubt because if you don't have evidence that is really like overwhelming then you can't just use like a maybe yeah yeah then you can't just use a maybe piece of hair as like you did it unfortunately christine's case went cold how do you feel stop are you you serious that's it (laughs) Renee, it's not. In 2019. Oh, thanks. Thank <laughs> Lord. Oh, my God. I'm trying to be nice and, like, not scroll to, like, read, but I was this close to freaking looking down. In 2019, the case had been transferred to Toronto Police Cold Cases. Detectives are working on an archiving project for cold cases. Around this time, forensic genealogy is becoming more of a thing. And investigators reach out to Othram Incorporation, a specialized genetic genealogy company. Yes, very cool. They submit semen from the underwear that was found with Christine. The semen is, you know, extracted, whatever they do, sucked up and evaluated. (laughs) And it's, (coughs) I'm assuming it's like this vacuum. I'm sure it is. It's sucked up into a machine, evaluated, whatever, tested, swabbed. (laughs) I don't know. Um, And it's uploaded into the database and they get some matches of distant family members. They're looking for this man who committed this crime. Mm-hmm. They're using databases of people who have kind of done like 23andMe and, you know, um, what are the other family tree ones? Or, yeah, yeah, like, you know what I DNA, mean? DNA, yeah. like, where do I come yes, from? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they've submitted their DNA, but they've also allowed their DNA to go to a database where it can be used for investigations. Okay. Why would you want to do that though? Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) I feel like I'm not making any sense. No, but like if you're a criminal, why would you want to submit your DNA to them? You're not a criminal. Okay. Okay. Let's do this different. Okay. I'm me. And I'm like, (laughs) I, (laughs) I'm me. (laughs) And I'm like, I want to know where my ancestors are from. So I get a 23andMe kit. I swab the inside of my mouth. And I send it off. Yeah. When they get my results, they're like, would you also like to let your DNA be in this type of database? And I'm like, yeah, of course, because I didn't commit a crime. But I have a fourth cousin who just committed a murder. Oh, And when investigators, okay, this is making more sense now. When investigators put in the DNA, they match to me. So they're like, okay, wait, now let's build the family tree backwards so your fourth cousin would be pissed at you yes maybe i don't even know him though you know but they build yeah. a country so they're like okay who's who's she me who's she related to as far as they can go which one of these family members 
was in the area at the time. Holy shit. Yeah, okay. This is next level. That's my explanation. Okay. (laughs) So they get a match. And now they build this person's family tree backwards. Okay, so it's not her family member. It's a family member of whoever sperm that it or it's the person is related to the murderer right in some way yeah right so once they kind of narrowed down who to who it like potentially could be they look to collect an actual sample of dna from their prime suspects because this way they'll be able to make like kind of a definitive match right mm-hmm. well in 2020 news broke in christine's case through DNA evidence, police announced that they tested semen, like I said, found on her underwear, and it came back to a man named Calvin Hoover. He was 28 years old at the time. He knew the Jessup family. They were family friends. <clears throat> the moms were close, so Calvin's wife at the time and Janet <clears throat> were close, and the kids all played together. Oh my god. Calvin worked with Roger, Bob, you know, Christine's dad. And he knew that no one would be at the house that night. He knew that Janet would most likely be alone. He had since moved away from Queensville. Unfortunately, or fortunately, whichever way you look at it. He's dead. He died in 2015. Well, let's just say he didn't have a deathbed confession. But That's what I'm saying. They don't admit to it. (laughs) They don't admit to it. Like, it's so frustrating. Oh, my God. After all this... Guy's lawyer released a statement and he said, I'm grateful that the Toronto police stayed on the case and have now finally solved it. When DNA exonerated me in January 1995, I was sure that one day DNA would reveal the real killer and now it has. Calvin had an unrelated criminal history but was never considered a suspect in the initial investigation. Ken was interviewed by CTV News Toronto and he said he's in strong disbelief that the police have finally identified his sister's killer. You keep hoping for 36 years that something is going to happen. And you get a phone call out of the blue this morning. It was incredible. He said that this news will provide closure for his mom, who has started to believe that she would never have answers in the case. How awful does she feel now, though, that it was a family friend? Oh, I mean, I don't know if you're just like totally relieved, because I think you have to assume that it's someone that you knew. I feel worse that you think, who did I let into my life that did this? Rather than being like, and now I know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's worse. I don't know. I feel like getting answers is always better than not having any. What about his wife? She's still alive. We'll talk about it. Oh, yes. Thank God there's more information. Okay. Finally, Kenny said, We can stop looking backwards now. It doesn't make it easy that it's a family friend, but it at least puts it all together. Thanks, Kenny, for answering my question. <laughs> Calvin Hoover's ex-wife, Heather, was interviewed in a CBC News article after the news was announced. Calvin and Heather had met in 1977. She was 20 years old at the time. She had two sons from previous relationship. Calvin later adopted them, and the couple had two more sons together. She said, He watched me go to her gravesite for 10 years. I didn't know this man. Oh, how terrifying. Oh, my God. Right? Oh. <gasps> She continued by saying, 10 years. He didn't show shit. He didn't show nothing. How does somebody do that? In 1984, the Hoovers were living in North Scarborough, now part of Toronto's East End, and both working in Eastern Independent Telecom. This is where they met Christine's father, Bob, who I've been referring to as Robert, who went by Bob, 
and Heather was a dispatcher. So this is kind of how they connected. Like they, they all kind of worked together and had kids around the same age. The Hoovers and the Jessup started spending time together. And Heather said that she and Bob's wife, Janet, really hit it off. So the moms really got along, as I mentioned. Heather recalled that her two older sons, 10 and 7, would play with Christine. She said, They got along very well, and she loved my younger one. Christine had visited the Hoover's home in the days before she went missing. Heather remembered getting home from work on October 3rd and learning that the young girl had disappeared. I dropped everything and went right to Queensville. Heather had originally believed that her husband had been at work the afternoon that Christine went missing. She wonders now why the police didn't check further into his alibi. Where Christine's body was found in Sutherland, Calvin had an old school friend who he visited often. Eventually in 1993, Heather and Calvin separated. She described him as kind of moody and grumpy. She said, Those last two, three years were hell for me and the kids. He was never the father he should have been. So it happens when you're hiding secrets. You oh go crazy. Oh god, yeah. So he worked as a cable installer, like we said, and a technician for a number of telecommunication companies. This job required him to travel across the province, internationally for training courses in Dallas, Washington, and Chicago. I'm just like, was this the only one? I don't know. That's always my question in these cases. Mm. Like, these one-offs just feel like, who does this just one time? I don't know. Yeah. Always makes me wonder. In an interview with CBC News, Janet said, You just push on. You just keep going. There were some rough times, some very rough times, but we all just stuck together and lived in hope. We couldn't have really done it ourselves without friends and supporters in the neighborhood. Never give up. You just can't give up. I'm very glad that it's over now. The end has come. We have now some closure. And that was very important to get. <sighs> so how do you feel now? Disgusting. <laughs> I feel icky. Yeah. I know. Like the fact that he's dead and like no one was able to like look him in the eye and be like. I know. We know you did this. Ugh, this It's incredible that this case was able to be solved and we're so glad they got some form of closure. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Because it really seemed like they needed, you know, something. So. so this week we'll be donating to Innocence Canada. Innocence Canada, formerly known as the Association in Defense of the Wrongly Convicted, is a nonprofit organization that was founded in 1993 and incorporated in 2000. Innocence Canada's mandate is to identify, advocate for, and exonerate individuals who have been convicted of a crime they did not commit, and to prevent wrongful convictions through legal education and reform. If you'd like to contribute to Innocence Canada, the link to donate will be in our description and Instagram and TikTok bio. Pictures for this case will be posted on our Instagram, so please follow us at Terrible True Crime. And if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review below. If you have any case suggestions, please send us a message on our socials or email us at terribletruecrime at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us. And see you next time.